Welcome to No Room for Phonies. It is the end of April. Hi. Hi. Charles is back because he's going to be my nemesis for this. Uh, I don't know if that's the <laughs> right word. Maybe a foil. Not a foil. Because today I want to talk about the top 10 ways to improve public education for kids. So um, before we get into that, though, I want to remind you of the cocktail of the month. The weather hopefully will get warmer. The snow is now gone Not here. the cilantro mojito. Not the cilantro mojito. But um, a mojito um, is a favorite of ours, just not with cilantro. But uh, for May, the new cocktail of the month is the salty dog, which is a lemon wedge, <laughs> okay. salt, grapefruit juice, ice cubes, one and a half ounces of vodka and lime. And that a lime sounds, wedge. That sounds good. So that'd be nice for sitting outside in our new chairs that we, our new rocking chairs. Is it ruby chairs. red grapefruit juice? And it doesn't say. Okay. But anyway, so that's uh, the I cocktail mean... for May. So that's called the Salty Dog. I just like the name of it. And the book of the month for me is The Rose Code by Kate Quinn. Um, it took me a while to read it because, um, like, it took me a while to actually pick it up to read it because I have read one? so many World War II novels about women. I, like, it's like, how many is it books a can... Of its own? Yeah, it is. But this <laughs> one is actually amazing. Um, it is really actually heart-stopping. Like, it describes it in the thing as heart-stopping. Uh, three female code breakers at Bletchley Park, which does actually exist, mm -hmm. and the spy they must root out after the war is over. And it's it's wow. intriguing. Um, they're, the three women come together as very different uh, people. One is wealthy, one is like, like majorly, and one is like... Anyway, it, they're just totally different people. And mixed in all of this is also Prince Philip of Greece and the royal wedding, if you can believe it. Wow. And um, Very time. Yeah. It's, timely, I guess. But the mysterious traitor emerges from the shadows of Bletchley Park. And um, the girls fall apart after the war, like the threesome. Mm -hmm. But they come together to sort this out and it's 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 Very actually cool. and didn't you say something about kate Princess? kate yeah so kate middleton's grandmother was a code breaker or worked in uh, in bletchley park, in bletchley park. so there's like but it's all secret yeah yeah well not anymore oh, okay. but yeah. i mean she doesn't talk about what she did there no. they had to sign all the yeah. anyway i don't want to get i don't spoiler alert i don't want to talk too much about it but i would really encourage you to read it. Kate Quinn is a great author, but this is a really good book. For the website, um, my website, look for cool ideas for your garden, as well as quilting and sewing. Update on my books. I'm going to be putting like my April reading list, which I think I'm up to about 10 books that I've read in April. Nice. Recipes. Um, I've also Are added... going to put that fig sauce that you did? Oh, yeah, that Greek fizz... Fig sauce on steak was so good. Yeah. Um, I've added some ideas on finding your core values from some work that we're doing on right. Udemy, mm -hmm. on um, life coaching, a course that we're taking. So I put that on there as well. Nice. And for the podcast of the month, I'm I'm promoting Sky Comp Solutions, which is where my son Sebastian works. But there's one podcast 
It's called, what is it called, the podcast? The episode? No, the oh. podcast itself. I can't. Oh, something IT it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a pun, it's a play on words. Anyways, if you look up Sky Comp Solutions podcast, you'll find it. Yeah. And I especially like the one where the CEO, Serge, talks about his business model, which is mm-hmm. a book that they promote and a whole bunch of ideas ideas that they use for their business models so for a small business person it's a really good one to listen to absolutely so that's all kind of the updates so i want to talk about the top 10 ways that and these are not like research there's nothing behind them i wouldn't say that well they're my own personal research of 36 years in public education so they are what i have observed and I do a ton of reading anyway, so I yeah, do... It's informed. It's informed. Say. It's not so just... It's not just... And it, I don't say these things lightly, but um, I think... Uh, and for the audience, uh, by the way, I don't know what she's about to talk about. I haven't no, heard anything. No, I, no, I, mean, I haven't yeah, talked to him In our marriage, that. I've heard a lot about us, <clears throat> her talking about work, but... And is... I haven't made a ton of notes for this uh, podcast because... I'm very passionate about education, so I wanted to speak from my heart and not from my notes. So I kind of just went that way about it. So number 10 for me is that I don't feel that our country, and I'm not talking about each individual province, Mm -hmm. our country has as a whole sees education as an essential service. Right. And so the country doesn't have a vision for the future of education that gets filtrated down to each province. And I'm not talking about the way it's done. I'm talking about the vision at the top that plays itself out in all the different... It's almost like the moral compass of the country when it comes to education. Right. And I, the example that I'm going to use... Um, is Finland, where they have a vision, um, is to become a modern society and an economy free from domination by large powers. So that's their overall goal for education. Right. So, but individual districts and things probably interpret and do that in a slightly different way. Mm-hmm. But ev- but it's something where the education minister or whatever can say show me how you are following right. our vision as a country well, and they came so close to being taken over in world war ii by russia yeah and i think that that started it and i think canada in world war one and world war ii had a common sense and a common goal as a society but i think well we we we've... were we all know that education was about the industrial age right yeah. and teaching people to be and we haven't really advanced past that no nope, we're still stuck in the industrial era and so that is i think that we need to relook and i think we that should be done through consultation and surveying about what education could be from people outside of education and not um not oh we should go back to the old ways and kids should do this no, and no, kids no. should do that. And, not, and and I don't mean about strategies or or a how-to, mm-hmm. like old that math versus new math or how to teach reading, because there are research-based strategies on how to do all those things. Right. Like, 
the fact that we still struggle with how to teach reading now is stupid to me. There's mm. so many strategies on how to effectively teach reading that teachers refuse to learn and do and, and whatever. Not yeah. all. Well, we'll get to that. But, <laughs> but researching about what education should do for our country and our society and what kind of citizens we want. Mm. That's where the vision for education comes, not from how it's done or what strategies. And so I think in Ontario and Canada, we are short-sighted and it's evident in our policies and our contracts with teachers. It's all short-term goals without any any long-term vision. And the short-term goal is always about people keeping people happy instead of doing what is right. Which people keeping happy? Keeping the people, the teachers happy. Yeah, not about keeping parents and children happy. No. No. And instead of doing what is right and what would actually benefit the society and the humanity. Yeah. So that's my number one thing that should change. My number two, well, actually, I'm going backwards. So that was 10. This is nine. Sorry, I have them um, numbered differently here. Um, I think that student-centered data should be used to drive instruction on a daily basis. So um, I believe, and this came first from somebody named Carmel Crivola, which we all teased and called her Crayola, but her idea (laughs) is correct, and it's an old idea, but it's all students can learn given the right support and time. Right. So differentiated learning is the key to meeting every student's needs. And I'm sure you see that in the college, Absolutely. too. Absolutely, And I mean, it's a slightly a different flavor, universal design for learning, but it, it is basically two sides of the same coin. But in order to differentiate, you have to know your students and you have to understand the differences between assessment for learning, of learning and as learning. Right. And um Maybe you should explain what those are. But for data, like some people are afraid that data means that you're you're labeling and you're pegging students according to some numbers like IQ scores. And no, things. that's not what I mean. I mean that when you, like I always said to my staff, when you start a 100-minute math block, mm-hmm. you should put up the, the learning that you think children will walk away with. for them to see so so that the kids know well this is what we're working on today and this is what i think you're going to be able to do or know or understand and remember some of your good teachers would send home and would tell the students to in their in their take-home journals or the communication yes this is when your mom asks you what did you do today this is what you say so it's up there but then at the end of the period when Mm -hmm. you do your consolidation you either do an exit card or a quick little something so you can actually see whether, and sometimes a learning might take two days or three right. days, yeah. but before you feel that the kids are ready to show their understanding, mm-hmm. show what you know is yeah. what I call, like when I think of assessment um, for learning, And as learning, that's a show as you know. But Mm -hmm. the assessment of learning is the test that you give at the end of the, like the bigger unit or the, not necessarily even a test, but the um, product that comes out of 
you know, several months of learning, right? Mm-hmm. Or several weeks of learning. What's but the difference between assessment for learning and as learning? Assessment as learning happens um, as they're, like, as they're doing it. Like, seriously, as they're doing it, you're changing. Right, so if there's, like, two math questions and the kids <clears throat> work on it and you grade it or mark it on the spot. Yes. Then they say, oh, I've made a mistake here, or I've been successful, and these are the steps that I took. Mm-hmm. And so then they've been assessed. Yes, it's al- it's almost like self-evaluation. Okay. More than forelearning is more like... Diagnostic. Yes, and, and exit cards, and deciding that, okay, they didn't quite get that today, so I'm going to go back at it in a different way. Right. Um, but creating independent thinkers is about the modeling that happens when teachers follow the research and learn to be intuitive about serving their students. Mm -hmm. Like that serving mentality about, I am here to make this group of kids successful is, has to be based on data, knowing your students. Right. And, um, My favorite example... Like parents, parents know when they see report cards, this teacher doesn't know my kid. Yeah, absolutely. And my favorite example of that is, is actually um, the teacher that I worked at, with at Park, Ryan, who was a, an exceptional teacher. And when I first looked at what he was doing, I thought, this guy doesn't mark enough. Like, he mm-hmm. doesn't mark enough stuff, right? He was teaching, I think, grade six. But when I, I actually observed what he was doing no he wasn't putting check marks on every single thing Mm -hmm. but when you talk to him about his students he knew them he was working in small groups he was doing assessment all the time he was having them assess what they were doing all the time but he didn't have to mark and put a number on every single thing Mm -hmm. so the data that you think that we think of traditionally isn't the data that i'm talking about it's the data what did he how did he how did he converse with the parents who were still old school saying what does my kid have do they have a c or b or an a well he he said i I gave them my like he he was great with parents because once you start talking about who your child who that child really is and what they how they are as a learner, yeah. you draw parents in right. because they're like, whoa, yeah, that is my kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is my kid. Oh, okay, this is how they can do better. This is their potential as a learner. Mm-hmm. They're not lear- they're not meeting it. Right. Here's this is why. Right. So and to me, special education is a joke right now. Both special ed teachers have very little specialist training. They are not good coaches of, like, they don't understand differentiation. Special ed is about differentiation. Yeah. And it's about you as the special ed. It's not plugging ed. them into a software package. No. it's And software pa- packages are great. As a tool. As a tool. But you have to be assessing and moving them and mm-hmm. and adding on to that as you go so that's number nine number eight is strong leadership and principals need to be curriculum leaders first and all other parts of school life need to be focused on meeting the needs of students as learners Mm -hmm. where they are each day so 
So what demands get put on principals to sidetrack them from being curriculum leaders? I, I don't know that any do. I think that if you are not a curriculum leader and you get put in a position of being a principal, then you find other things to do because you don't know what to do. Okay. Right? Like, yeah. I, I, I taught for like a lot like, of years. Because I remember like a principal <clears throat> that just wanted to play sports all the yeah. time and coach sports. But they don't and, know how to... But they were like... They totally... don't know how to be a <laughs> curriculum leader. No. So like that way and i'll get to this later on about the community of the school mm -hmm. absolutely is important but why do you send your child to school you send your child to school to be educated mm -hmm. to become a learner to become a thinker to become a whatever your vision of education is not just to learn times tables but to become a learner and a and a contributing member of society not so just to industry. That has to be the priority. Yeah. We are teachers. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to do a lot of other things, but that's part of the job. Yeah. So strong leadership. Um, like as well, leaders need to be organized and whatever and all those other things. But if you're not a curriculum leader and you're the head of a school... Mm -hmm. It doesn't really seem to make much sense to me. No. And uh, I, I don't see that as a pri priority in hiring anymore. No. So the next one is commitment to equity. The first thing that I think of when I think of equity in schools, and I believe that all the focus on Black Lives Matter and Indigenous and all that is completely necessary right now. Like there's an oh, almost like a, like everything is focused on that right, right. now because it's been left out yeah, the vacuum, for so long. The vacuum has been forever. So it's, that's really important that, mm -hmm. because that's just a look at history and yeah. history is how we understand. So that commitment to equity and, but also students as learning disabled and, and other things also ha have to be special needs students have yep. to be treated equitably too. And that's where inclusion is like 100% important. And then socioeconomic. Yes. But this is where I say about one of the biggest things that needs to be reevaluated in schools and in across schools is fundraising because the government put in place the model where it doesn't matter if you're father works at a gas station or they're a doctor mm -hmm. to some degree yeah the funding is the same unless the doctor sends their kid to private school which right. is a whole nother story because mm -hmm. private schools some of them grade according to how much you're paying right because you're paying for your child to be successful right which it's a whole nother story, but <clears throat> but yeah, but <clears throat> but a provincia community provincially, the 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 funding model is it doesn't matter where your parents live and what neighborhood they live in, each child gets the same amount of except money except when it comes to fundraising. fundraising. Because uh, when I was at Parliament Oak, I could put out an email and someone would drop off a check for a thousand dollars. When I worked downtown in an yeah. inner city school. We had to stand on our heads and spit nickels to make a hundred bucks. Mm -hmm. So how how can government put a policy in place that helps all schools? 
And how can we as a society be more generous with each other? Well, like, I don't understand. <clears throat> as a parent, when I wrote the checks for all the, the donations for school trips and that, and then for the fundraising projects, like, to me, I wouldn't care if that was all pooled in one central location and then distributed equal. But there are parents like, well, I'm not, I don't want that to go to that no. other school. I, yeah. This is for my school's kids' uniform mm -hmm. and whatever. Yeah. No. So that selfishness isn't a government's fault. No, it isn't. And it's not the teacher's fault. No. And it's our society's fault. It's a societal problem. But I just feel like that's where the inequity occurs. Yeah. And that gets into racism, special oh, yeah. ed, like everything, mm -hmm. indigenous, like all these places where they're, I mean, you can talk about it in the same way as you do the distribution of vaccines. Yeah. In, like because they they don't they can't do some of those things no. because of well they don't have the because self of the history right and they can't self -ad there's less ability for self advocacy because of barriers that have been yeah. set up systemically right and I mean I remember being at an inner city school in St Catharines and. Um, compared to Niagara on the Lake, and I wanted to take the kids out of town to a camping experience, yeah. and we worked like crazy to raise money for that. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Niagara on the Lake, the parents just wrote a check for their kid to go to camp. Yeah, not all of them. No, but you but didn't I'm... have to do like five fundraising activities that were. 10, 15, 20, like we did all kinds of things yeah. to try to just raise enough money to get those kids who some of them had never been out of St. Catharines. Yeah. So that to me is big a bigger, inequity. and we all know that everything comes down to money. Yeah. Everything ends up being about access to things and access to things is about money. Mm. So... Anyway, that commitment, like, why was it so difficult for me to get certain things at certain schools? Like, smart boards, for example, mm -hmm. I could get them at one school because I had I could fundraise for them and put them in everywhere. Yeah. And then they build these fancy new schools. Sorry. Mm -hmm. And I that's great. But every every old school should have the same technology access to technology there's that's a huge equity issue yes. every school should have the same access to technology regardless of the building. per capita yeah right like yep. that is a whole nother equity so that's my next one and then this one is a big one high quality teachers who are held accountable for what happens in the classroom mm -hmm. they they have to be held accountable and not because their kids do well on EQAO, no. although that's part of it. But the current system of teacher evaluation is not helpful because this goes back to the hiring of the principal. If the principal can't walk into a classroom and understand that the curriculum is being well taught mm -hmm. or look at their plans and, and see that this is not being done well from a curriculum point of view... Yeah and a differentiation point of view, then... They can't. They, don't, they're they can't even they can't. mentor or guide the teacher no. if it's a weak teacher. No. no. So, uh, I mean, I propose a system um, that is support from within and pressure from without. Mm -hmm. 
So I think of the old days where the inspector came. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not saying it has to be that kind no, of... No, I know. But I'm just talking about looking for people who are curriculum experts to go in and say, ah, oh, no, this this needs and we need to yeah. be adjusting and here's, this is, here's some differentiation pieces that you need to put in place where the principal is the one who offers the support because and doesn't have they to be the... have to live in that building every day right. and i have experienced and my friends as principals have experienced the circling of the wagons that happens mm -hmm. when you start evaluation. down the road of an unsatisfactory evaluation right. and i would challenge any parent anywhere to ask at the ministry level Mm -hmm. How many unsuccessful teacher evaluations actually occur in each district? Mm -hmm. Because I'm telling you, it shouldn't be a thing. It it like if you're unsatisfactory, teacher evaluation is a joke. Yeah, and the thing is, then there's the strong teachers and the the newer teachers who are willing to grow and improve, but. And, you know, everybody gets imposter syndrome at some point. And if it's if it's set up where you are the or the principal is the support and the the pressure from without those people that are having that imposter syndrome and are afraid of being observed and afraid of being evaluated, they can come to you and say, you know, I'm terrified of being observed. Yeah. And you can coach them. Well, get this ready. Now are you ready for this? And the strong teachers will be ready. Yeah. The mediocre ones who wanna grow. But the weak ones, you can say, no, you're not ready, and this is what you need to do. Yeah. But here I am to help you. Yeah. But I'll, I'll say with you. Yeah. You can't do that now because the weak, and it would the weak teacher, the weak teacher complains about it, and they get a. a, a and unfortunately, a gang. that that's become a union protection, right? And you feel it in your job too. Yes. Absolutely. Your person isn't allowed to come and. No, like observations like, have to be voluntary and. You know, but that and yet you're picking up this this big salary with yeah. no accountability. So that's that's. Huge. I think that I, would change. I think with public education, like with elementary school, I think parents don't understand what they they don't know what they don't know. Yeah, and absolutely. So much Every school advocate. I went into, I started doing mini workshops on what your report card should look like, what you should expect to come home, what does a reg what does a math class look like? What it like how are we teaching reading? And for the most part, parents were not informed about that and even Well and I get that a lot of parents are busy surviving at every economic yes. level. They're trying to maintain their incomes and whatever. But I, I just I'm flabbergasted that they don't advocate for their child very much, except for the helicopter parents who are extreme the other way. Right. And but, I mean, we didn't go into our kids' schools very often, but when I did, I was armed with the curriculum and, and yeah, knowledge, well, one, but I was one, a teacher. The like, one, well, the, and that, so we know how to do it. But you got to know that every curriculum your child is being taught it's is available, available on the website. Online. You can read it. Yeah, I took and say, I what the heck are you doing? In I downloaded the math curriculum and read through the grade, whatever it was, and went into the meet with the teacher. And I said, okay, here's these objectives. I don't see any of that happening. 
the report cards, you're supposed to have covered these three strands by by January. You haven't done, you've done one of them. Yeah. And now you're wow. playing catch up. And yeah. it's, it's, and then when you try to hold people accountable, they either attack you or go on stress leave. Yeah. And I'm not saying everyone, but I'm just saying it's a more common problem in education than I think people realize. Yeah. So the next one I have is alignment and coherence from one school and one district to another. And I, I'm going to use the word that we had this morning in our course of congruence and genuineness towards parents and students, mm -hmm. where you're making sure that there's an alignment of things like across like you I'm sure you try to do it across your levels yes but that should be it doesn't matter how I necessarily teach you should look at the best researched way of teaching that mm -hmm. and that alignment should happen across yeah because I don't think in education we have too many places where we can't say that there's research-based evidence on how this is best taught no. There's a lot of research in education yeah. about the best well, way. There's a lot of conferences and a lot of teachers going to conferences yeah. and coming. But, but like yeah. in our case, there's people going to conferences. But we used to have what we call brown bag lunches uh, or share, sharing lunches or whatever, where somebody who had gone to a con conference came back and in a 30-minute presentation while we all had lunch together, yeah. shared it. But all that has disappeared. Yeah. Well, and that's a... I don't want to keep going back no. to uh, this isn't about bad, bad union, whatever. But <laughs> a lot of that is because of the rise of mediocrity. Yes. Rise of mediocrity, for sure. So um, my next. And the other thing is like the congruence across district, for example, like parents shop for schools that, you know, they know, oh, this principal deals with bullying. That principal doesn't deal with bullying like that. Consistency should be everywhere. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know if you were talking about the different school boards or not yeah yeah I just I well I mean I don't want to get into Catholic and public and whatever no, the, but... I, the only thing I I see is the amount of money back to that mm -hmm. that's spent on marketing to compete for students for the two different boards yeah so that money could be going to kids and it's that it's going to advertisement yeah and I there isn't a whole lot of difference other than uniforms and religion yeah between Exactly. And right. then when it comes to, I'm sorry, the equity, there is a problem. Yeah, I, I agree. I think so, too. So that that's another one. Um, the next one that I wanted to talk about was the idea of community. And I think that is one of the things that I was like, I was a curriculum leader because I understood curriculum. And I I mean, I'm not going to be shy about saying that I was a curriculum leader. I knew what to look for when yeah. I went in a classroom. But I also think that students and parents need to feel part of a vital and active community that lives within the border of a bigger community, including the country and the world. Yeah. So, I and mean... And the truth of the matter is, just for people who aren't from Ontario, there are safety protocols for any parent to go in and have a guest visitor tag. There's cameras, there's locked, whatever. But there is a protocol for all that. So there shouldn't be schools where the principal is allowed to shut out parents. No. But that happens. Oh, yeah. And that to and me is a huge 
problem with this and community. And I went, yeah, um, like one of my goals as a principal to have was to have a monthly thing where parents could actually be physically in the school, like for an event. Right. And then during those events, I drew people in to be readers and, and school lunch per people and mm-hmm. all those kinds of things so that there were people coming and going in my schools all the time as parents. Yeah. And we weren't afraid that they might see or do some, you know, see yeah, something see that something that because they, most of the and time if they saw something, they could come to you and yeah. then you would deal with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, once COVID f- uh, fades or whatever happens in the future. But the, this was I mean, a big problem. Before but I mean, COVID. parents of Ontario need to know that they cannot be locked out of those buildings. No. Oh, no. That is actually not allowed. No. And you can actually, you know, be a volunteer. Like I used to say to some parents, you know, maybe be a volunteer in somebody else's class because it's <laughs> not going kids, to. Yeah. But I mean, teacher librarian time is low on the, you know, you can go in and shelve books and um, you can read clean to up. Kids, listen to kids. You reads. can clean up if you don't feel like like list like reading with kids Mm -hmm. you can actually help i had parents that helped with coaching all the time yeah the only thing you have to physically have there is a teacher on the bench right did they have to have a police check to do coaching uh i i was at the point when i retired of asking everyone to produce a police check just because Mm -hmm. and if it was a pay thing i paid for it right but it just it covered you Mm -hmm. it covered everybody the person and you like no Mm -hmm. i went through like so i think that i think that that's just a part of common sense that's common sense yes (laughs) the other the the next thing i want to talk about is the effective use of resources and spending money efficiently and effectively and all the waste that is by kids Mm -hmm. and by teachers yeah like photocopy i will give you photocopying is one like drove me crazy (laughs) but notebooks where i would go in and see a kid's notebook where they wrote on the first page and then the fifth page and then the eighth page like is it not common sense to just teach kids to write on that page and then turn the page and then write on the next page Mm -hmm. and like to teach them like that's just like when we talk about um recycling and recycling and and saving our environment and all that stuff that starts right in the classroom Mm -hmm. with recycling and i mean the one thing that went away in classrooms was a scrap paper bin right because teachers themselves like i always taught my own art so Mm -hmm. we had scrap paper everywhere I see kids that go to the back and pull like a huge piece of construction paper new, out brand and new. draw something in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And I would not be bringing this up if it wasn't happening more than you think it is. So, mm-hmm. and then I'm then I won't even talk about the waste of resources where teachers I have to have this resource and this resource is going to make such a difference. And we would buy. Like the board would buy thousands of dollars worth of something that was sitting on a shelf. Like binders or books yes. or software. Yeah, or... that was sitting on a shelf because this will make all the difference. I just think we need to be better stewards. Stewards. Yeah. And I mean, I felt very, you know, and I walked into schools where there, all the money had been spent usually and I was scrounging for money. Mm-hmm. But I... 
I was a steward and I spent it because I didn't think that a public purse should have money in, sitting in it at the no. end of the year. Like if you have a budget for a school, but you spent that it should on be kids. spent. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, one of my most frustrating things is always the fact that now if you want teachers to meet or plan or do anything, you actually have to pay for them to be released to do it. Whereas when I was a teacher, mm-hmm. we took time after school and we met and we did like now you are kept to a 75 minute staff meeting once a month once a month and that's all that you have and the teachers can leave 10 minutes after the bell or something like yeah like no you can leave at the bell it's only before school that you that it's legislated that you have to be there so they can work i mean now so i would say that half of my budget Half of my budget as a principal went to releasing teachers to meet and plan and do. To pay the supplies. To pay supply teachers. So my proposal to the government is that people need to be on campus from 8 to 5. Yep. And then if you have to be on campus from 8 to 5, once COVID is over, obviously, mm-hmm. you're there for an 8 o'clock meeting. Mm-hmm. You can accomplish a lot at an 8 to 9 that can be all the differentiation and special ed planning and all that between 8 and 9 every morning. Mm-hmm. 8 and 8.45, whatever you want. 45 minutes every morning. And then after school, you can run teams. Like if school, lots of schools end at 3. Mm-hmm. Between 3 and 5, you can run teams. You can have curriculum planning. So, and if teachers don't like it, then they have to choose between hourly wage yeah. or salary. Because if it's salary... Eight to five. You have to, you're, I mean, in a, like in Sebastian's job, he's receiving a salary. He works till the job is done. Yeah. He doesn't about per hour. Yeah. So, So, I mean, that's a, to me, that's a a waste of, because you're allowing people to take advantage, like you just are. And if you, and parents who are the taxpayers don't realize that this is what's happening. I don't think a lot of people do. No. And then, well, there's the whole thing about um, professional judgment, right? (laughs) Where people can just say, well, in my professional judgment, it should be done this way. And I, as a principal, always said, well, I appreciate your professional judgment, but I have some too. Mm -hmm. And so in my professional judgment, you need to reevaluate your professional judgment. And and what research and data is your professional judgment based on? Because it should not be based on opinion or preference. Yeah. But, and and I remember um, she's still a good friend of mine, but she was a superintendent and she would always say, well, if you don't want to do the research based way, then you mm-hmm. just show me another research based way of going about it. And mm-hmm. we'll then then we'll talk about it because right. I'm always willing there to are learn. there are different yeah, flavors that sure. are all researched. Um, and then the number two is student motivation and engagement. And who is responsible for motivating and engaging students? Are you responsible for all students? And are you res- teacher teachers? Yeah. And are you responsible if kids are unmotivated or their behaviors are a certain, like, you know, I know one of my favorite examples was a, a teachers bringing me like a a piece of paper that a kid had spent 50 minutes doing and they'd written swear words all over it. The kid had. Yeah. Like it would be like a crossword puzzle or something that they'd filled in and they've written swear words all over it or Mm -hmm. they've done that. I mean, a friend of mine just told me a story about that. Okay. But I experienced that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so how did a kid 
spend 50 minutes doing all that intricate writing of swear words and you didn't pick up on that like Mm -hmm. where were you walking around ensuring that that kid was on task or saying hey i see you're choosing to write words that really aren't like appropriate so is there a problem with you not understanding Mm -hmm. and obviously that child has some kind of behavior issue so what supports have you put in place to make sure that child is successful and my saying to every teacher I ever worked with over and over again was success breeds success Mm -hmm. so if you want a child to be successful give them success even and that doesn't mean fake fake no, evaluation but saying find, good, good job on find something that's that spot done. where they're successful. Mm-hmm. And you only do that by let's go back to knowing your students and differentiating and making yeah. sure things are in place. I mean, I remember and our, and our buildings, our classrooms, I know teachers are all upset about class sizes, but you can walk around a class of 35 to 40 students. And in elementary, they don't they aren't that big no. in well, Ontario. When I started, I had 28 kids in a I think it was a straight 3, but maybe. No, I yeah, don't portable. know. <laughs> no, because I had five boys in that class who were non-readers. Right. In grade 3. But you three. still had 23 and other I children. And I had seven girls who read and wrote a play based on the books of Anne of Green Gables right. for reading. Right. So I obviously was differentiating in that classroom because mm. all those kids, like those non-readers, couldn't do what those girls were no, doing. But by the end of the year, they were reading something. But we had a centers-based... Yeah. I ran a centers-based classroom where kids where I had one area that was writing, but it had enough, it had parallel tasks mm. all the way from way up here to way down there. Yeah, so and the I'm, child could pick that. And not because I was anything special, because I worked at it. Yeah. And I learned how to do that. Yeah, you and your mentor. Yeah, who? My mentor, Helen. Yeah. And the number one thing I think that would make a difference for kids in public education is a commitment to innovation and technology by everyone. Like Mm -hmm. it is 100% obvious that we are not on top of our innovation and technology by how badly we transferred to online. This should not have been, we have floop and flip flop and all the, Mm -hmm. I know that flip flop isn't a thing. (laughs) Flip grid. Flip grid. That's it. Like there's so many, Tools. And yeah. I was trying to get well, and teachers whole... using Desire to Learn, D2L, as a site 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And resist, 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 resist. Not everyone, well, obviously. It's, my, it's our favorite 2080 factor, right? Right. There's 20% of people. It used to be, when I started teaching, 80% of us were like, whoa, let's go, man. Mm-hmm. And we had the 20%, 15 mm-hmm. to 20%. Now it's flipped. Yeah. Like 20, uh, 20%. And were... if you talk to the strong teachers and the visionary teachers, 
they are so disheartened by the majority who well, and dra- they're who drag down. them. They and are actually beaten down sometimes. I think they're that, bullied. They're bullied for being strong teachers. Yes, and I think that the bullying that occurs, I think, in a lot of public, like sector yeah. jobs, yes, is out of control. It is, and that. Well, you can figure out, I don't know, how, how to explain how that happens. Because particularly in schools, adults should not be bullying each other. No. And I was bullied as the leader in the mm-hmm. school. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, so those are my top 10. I will go back. I'll just read back through them. That long-term vision of the country is my number 10. Mm-hmm. And the use of student-centered data. Strong leadership commitment to equity, high-quality teachers who are held accountable, alignment, coherence, congruence, genuineness, whatever, a sense of community, effective use of resources, student motivation and engagement, and innovation and technology. So I think those are the 10 things that would change uh, public education. And um, thanks for being my... I'm happy to. I don't know what to call it. I don't want to call it a nemesis because that really wasn't it. Well, I'm your brick wall to bounce ideas off. Right. (laughs) And you're honest with me, so that makes a difference. So on the the May uh, 15th, I'm going to do the 10 top contributions of women to society. I better be here. Yeah, you can come back. (laughs) But the 10 top contributions of women to society because... Um, I think it's that's an equity issue, right? Absolutely, for sure. Still like even the Bletchley Park, the mm-hmm. Rose Code thing about those women were never recognized for their contributions, and they talk about that in the book. Nice, you know that mm-hmm. the, all the men that were there, ooh, important, important, but it was mm-hmm. actually the women that were making the code while well, they were doing the code breaking. Yeah, yeah, the difference. So, thank you for joining us for at No Room for Phonies. For the top 10 things that would make the biggest positive difference in public education. Awesome.